Tracy. And this is Sheila, and we are Spy Fat Chicks. And this week's episode is going to be about a couple updates from Stuttering Johns, and talk about the TED Talks, chew on this series that's on Netflix. So it's a little bit of a potpourri. Uh, bear with us. We are recording from home. Yeah, so if you hear snufflies, that's just the dog. Yes. So this is take two as well. We were recording in the car, and the iPod got really hot and turned off, and we didn't know, and we kept talking for a while. So, 18 minutes in. It just decided to go back to sleep. Yes, not a good thing. So let's take it from the top, Sheila. Stuttering John's. Woo! Woo! As always, great food, delicious southern style barbecue. These guys own smokers, and he's applying for a liquor license so he can have really good quality sipping liqueurs and whiskeys. And also, he'd like to serve craft brew beer. None of the big guys. None of the big ten. Mm-hmm. Um, just, we went back, by the way, the other day because we've both been craving the pulled pork sandwich. Mm-hmm. And I personally, I don't like to go out and order things that I can make well at home. I make pretty good pulled pork. His is epic. Mm. So for me to and go out... And you didn't out, have to make it. For me to crave it and want to go out and get it, that's just awesome. Yeah, so. exactly. So he's got a new innovation too. He has got a hot dog cart out in front of his restaurant now that he sells the pulled pork sandwiches, the smoked brisket sandwiches, mm-hmm. and also he's got... Hot dogs and sausages, which you can have topped with pulled pork. You can get the hot dog topped with pulled pork for an extra $2. We swung by after we ate there for lunch the one day. We went by the next day. I uh, picked up a couple meaty things for lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a sausage, and we got one of the hot dogs topped with pulled pork. And the sausage was really good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a better quality than what they have at Canadian Tire. It was lean. It was tasty. It wasn't spicy. It was nice and snappy. It was very snappy. The buns are awesome, too. He's getting, like, decent buns for them. It's not, you know... The 79 cent great value things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it has a nice little topping section. We ended up putting um, banana peppers on the sausage, which goes great with the sausage. Really, really. good. Usually yeah. I put mustard on my sausages, but this was e- almost even better because it didn't make the bun soggy. Yeah, because the banana peppers, as long as you don't, you know, throw the juice on with it, it comes out like it's still nice and crisp and it goes with the sausage snap. And then the hot dog with the pulled pork on it was... Oh, move over, chili dog. You've got <sighs> a new favorite in town. It, it's doesn't even touch it's a, rather a chili dog doesn't even touch it it's so good mm-hmm. and it's especially because it's his pulled pork which just melts in your mouth anyway it's yeah. like the cotton candy of pulled pork almost oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a good good hot dog and a good bun and the, you know they toast the bun and everything for you and then they just throw this like nice helping of of pulled pork on top of it you don't need ketchup you don't need mustard no that I would mean, just ruin it you if you want onions and relish i could kind of see that but man just, just eat it natural. Just go for it, you know? Yeah, try it out. And oh. so if you're looking for a quick lunch mm-hmm. and you're near downtown Oshawa, cruise up Simcoe Street, park in front of Stuttering John's, and jump out and get yourself a bite. Yeah, and the prices were great. Um, I, I don't remember the price on the just the pulled pork or the brisket, but the hot dog was $3. Add $2 if you want to put the pork on top, and the sausage was $4. Mm-hmm. It's a killer cheap lunch. Just if you're downtown in the area. If you're in Durham region in general, you have to check out his restaurant. Yeah, definitely. So... And he wants to also expand his menu and include more Southern barbecue offerings. Mm-hmm. So we'll de- definitely do an, an update episode for that. Yeah, it, he threw out some of the uh, couple ideas about some of the things he's putting on it, and we're excited. Mm-hmm. Once he launches the new menu, I'm pretty sure we're going to go down and, and gorge ourselves silly and do a big old episode about it. Oh, yeah. Because we like food, and he has great food. So it's, it's a good combination. But yeah, very still very excited about Stuttering John's. And in general, downtown Oshawa is getting some nice restaurants in. Yeah. So it's still a nice that, place. Um, 
Jamaican like pepper pot mm -hmm. style and that's coming that's in. supposed to be yeah. coming in and uh there's still that down east donairs that we have to check out mm -hmm. too it looks like they're open late yeah so maybe we'll do an episode on them depending on what we see so on to the ted talks so on netflix canada there's a whole group of ted talks and for those that don't know ted stands for is it technology G entertainment and design okay and it's a bunch of uh I don't know who's behind it, really, but you can it was just... It's probably, like, Richard Branson or something. Yeah, it's a bunch of rich, old Silicon Valley-type guys, but not really Silicon Valley guys. And what they want to do is they want to reward people who are doing good things at, a, like, a somewhat local level and give them the ability to influence outside of their normal sphere of influence. Yeah. So they'll give money out. If, they'll invite you to do a TED Talk about what you're doing, and then they'll give an award out to some people, which is a grant, pretty much, so you can expand what you're doing to help out even more. Yeah, like, the, the tagline is, good ideas worth spreading. So. Yeah, exactly. And, it, it's you know, it's an admirable concept. Uh, it really stayed off of most people's radars. It's been going on for a while. Yeah. I want to say we saw a couple that were from, like, 2002. Mm. But, um recently in the last couple of years it's really hitting the pop culture radar because of jamie oliver and he got one of the ted talk awards and he went and did his his really it's actually a fairly famous ted talk now yeah about uh school, school food, dinners school dinners because he did the um the jamie's school dinners in england first right and it was fairly very successful actually because mm. he's very passionate about that and then he came over here and he did one in west virginia and it's i don't remember the name of the show he did it. It was like six it was, episodes, it eight just, episodes. I think it was just called Jamie's School Dinners. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was called Jamie's School Dinners here or Jamie's School, Lun Jamie's School Lunches. Maybe. But it's, on one hand, it's it's heartbreaking to watch because you look at the crap we're feeding our kids. And you don't even really have to be a foodie to appreciate the fact that we're kind of giving them a lot of crap food in school. Mm -hmm. And it's, not to get political here, but prisoners are eating better food with more nutrition than school children. And so we've seen, I can't produce a site on it, but I've, I remember seeing some t statistics as to the amount of money going into it versus the other. It's just, really now? Really? Well, except for those dudes in the tent city. They're only eating like mayonnaise sandwiches, I think. Yeah, but, but mayonnaise and bologna <laughs> sandwiches. But, you know. Um, so, and you definitely want to, you can watch it not just on Netflix. You can also watch it just online in general. The TED Talks are up for anybody to watch. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me where. We'll see if we can dig up a link for it, but I they are available. I think it's just ted.com. Yeah. Just do a Google search for it, and you'll be able to find it. Yeah. and um, But they're fa fantastic to watch. They run in length from about 20 minutes down to, like, four minutes. Yeah, and Netflix have, have grouped them into themes. Mm -hmm. So the ones about food are called Chew on This. And then there's a bunch of ones about space travel and exploration. There's a bunch of ones about nature and animals and bugs. Mm-hmm. And those are all kind of grouped together according to theme. And there was the love ones, too. Those oh, ones yeah. were pretty good, too. There were some really clever ones. Oh, in fact, totally off the topic of food, one of my, definitely becoming one of my all-time favorite nonfiction authors, Mary Roach, mm. did one. And uh, Mary Roach does really quirky nonfiction books yeah, about, around wrote, a particular um, topic. She did Stiff, which is about dead people. Boink. Boink, which is about sex. And she just did uh, Packing for Mars, which is about... Pretty much, it's more almost like a history of space travel and the awkward things about space travel that don't get a lot of uh, airtime because they're juvenile, like pooping. Yeah. But she's a great like, writer. I feel so bad. Her husband must be so just patient because she's just crazy. Yeah. But she's In awesome. a good way. In a good way. But anyway, in the, in the uh, love section, she does one about some of the stuff she learned from uh, writing the, the book Boink. Mm -hmm. and she's, a, you know, she's a great public speaker. She's a fantastic author. She's just totally worth checking out. But back to this. So we've already talked a bit about Jamie Oliver. His uh, school lunches 
thing is on there. He talks about all the processed food and about how it's, uh, it's artificially cheap because if you get fresh ingredients, you can make a lot more versatile things and you have a, and it's way cheaper per portion if you mm-hmm. do it that way. He has the wheel barrel of sugar too in it. Yeah. Where he pretty much dumps out as much sugar as a kid will eat in like so many years of school just if they have chocolate milk kind of mm-hmm. thing. I mean, it's... Because regular milk, getting. Like, regular chocolate milk isn't that sweet, but over the years people have Companies added, added more, sugar more to and it. more sugar to it. It's the same thing with ketchup. Mm-hmm. If you notice the ketchup that you get from the grocery store, it's Heinz. The ketchup you get from McDonald's is also Heinz, but it's way sweeter. It's a different formula. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, check it out next time. Oh, well, heck. Haven't you noticed that? No. Well, I don't use that much ketchup to begin with. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah, it's definitely, it's sweeter. Oh, okay. I take that as a challenge. <laughs> okay. Blind taste test. In Blind the future. taste test. I want to see the labels. All right. I really take that as a challenge. Mm. All right. So one of the other TED Talks about, or the TED Talks in the Chew on This series that we really liked was Dan Barber. And he's this excitable Jewish guy from New York. And he actually went over to Spain. It's over by the Portugal border in western Spain. And talked to Edward Sousa about ethical foie gras. So if you don't know anything about foie gras, don't feel bad. Sheila and I are devoted foodies. And mm. even we still haven't had it yet. I've never tasted it. I know no. what it is, obviously, and how it's made. Yeah. But... So foie gras is... um fattened goose or duck liver mostly goose i want to say is the one that's really what you want to go for and you get a goose's liver to get fat either by um putting it through four years of school and letting it go to keg parties all the time (laughs) or you you do something called gavaging and they actually have a word for it gavaging means you force feed the goose grain and they have these tubes that they put down this like feeding it's a funnel it's a funnel they put down the goose's throat and they force it to eat it's not particularly pleasant, even for the goose. They don't enjoy it. No. They, I mean, when you see footage of the farmers on foie gras farms, usually they come in the barn and all the goose run to the other side of the barn. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of the farmer. They don't want to be anywhere near him. They don't want to get hurt. No, don't also think that they, this uh, practice of, of foie gras, they just take the liver out and throw the rest of the goose away. The goose, no. the rest of it's being processed and used as well. It's, it's not like hunting cruel, bears for their gallbladder. It's it's cruel. I don't particularly agree with it. But I also know this isn't something that's like a modern um, culinary thing. This has been going on for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. So before people get really up in arms about how we treat animals now and modern far- farming techniques and all this stuff like stockyard things, mm-hmm. this is something that's been going on for a... Since a, ancient times, I think. Yeah. But still, we and, can do better. Yeah. And... They have done better. And this is so cool. It's so like shades of Omnivore's Dilemma and Michael Pollan. And Joel Salander, crazy farmer guy. It's just awesome. This Edward Sousa, he uh, he has a foie gras farm. It's humane foie gras. And he doesn't gavage his geese. He's just set up like goose heaven. Yeah. In fact, they're, one of the talking points, because I just rewatched it, that Dan Barber made was that the electrical current on the fence isn't on the inside it's actually on the outside to protect them from coyotes he said when he moved the current from the inside because he felt like the the geese felt like they were being manipulated like they were prisoners he moved it to the outside he saw a 20 percent increase in the size of the livers that year wow because they were just that much more happy they just fed that much more Mm -hmm. 
And he is set up on his farm. It, it's like a giant uh, buffet for the geese. And he does harvest the farm as well. Mm-hmm. But he admits about 50% of what grows actually goes to the geese. Yeah, he could actually make more with the olives and the figs than he makes from the foie gras. But he lets the geese eat what they want. He said that they're fair. They usually only take 50%. <laughs> and then he'll harvest the rest. Yes. Now you have to ask yourself, well, how does this guy get the geese to get fat? How does he get their livers fatty without shoving things down their throat? He follows the patterns of nature. Naturally, birds will start to plump themselves up at the end of the season before they get ready to migrate. Mm-hmm. It's just part of their life cycle. Just like we kind of do the same thing. We all pack on the pounds to get ready mm-hmm. for a hard winter. Well, you have to figure people must have realized that the goose or the geese were getting fatty livers from gorging themselves because of trial and error. Mm-hmm. A goose that was killed in the summertime probably doesn't have as nice a liver as one that was killed in the fall. Mm-hmm. So It didn't take much to connect the dots eventually, and then we said, let's just feed them that way can, all the time. Yeah, we can just do it artificially. So, But he, that's what this guy's doing, and apparently his foie gras is supposed to be just out of this world. Mm-hmm. And one of the, uh, the things that cracks me up, too, is the hallmark of good foie gras is uh, supposed to be its color. You would think livers are supposed to look kind of gray. Yeah. But foie gras should be yellow because of the grain that they're feeding the goose, and that actually dyes the, the liver. It makes it really bright. Mm-hmm. And his originally weren't yellow, and he got a lot of bad feedback as people were like, oh, this is great, but, you know, this isn't what we want. So he ended up going out and planting, what are those, lupin, lupin bushes? Yeah. And if, you eat, if they eat the seeds, which they love, it turns their liver like nuclear yellow. Yeah. And Even better than the best foie gras. Yeah, so not only does he have humane foie gras where it tastes amazing, but it even looks, quote-unquote, better mm-hmm. than the regular foie gras, which just cracks me up. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about it, too, when we recorded the episode the first time. Um, I remember on the F Word with Gordon Ramsay, there was a chick on there that was trying to get him to use the humane foie gras. Uh, her name is Jennifer Street Porter, and she was actually one of the people that was also trying to promote eating horse meat. I know that a lot of people like horses. I'm not saying one way or the other, but that was just one of her talking points about how it's much more... It's leaner. It's it's better for you. It's more uh, easier on the environment mm-hmm. to raise horses than to raise cows. I'm not going here or there on that. I'm just saying that was one of her... It was, She's almost like the Freakonomics of food. She is, and it was great. We should see if she has any books and check them out. Mm-hmm. But it was great to watch the thing on the F word with her, the horse meat, because English people are kind of adverse to horse meat to begin with to eat right. it. And she set up her little, like, sample area right outside a racetrack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and it I can was understand. For some people, that would be like eating dog. Yeah. So I can get it. I totally yeah, I, get I it. I totally understand. I wouldn't push anybody to try it, but I'd totally take a hearty bite and see what it's like yeah you know hey it's fast fast cow it's like deer deer i call them fast cows mm-hmm. so but uh yeah gordon ramsay he was kind of meh about the organic he's like it's good but i like the regular stuff better not the yeah. organic but rather the uh the humane but he's still as well i was looking for stuff up online list as far as last year when he's still been having people petition him to drop foie gras off the menu well it's been banned in a lot of cities too yeah which Banned in Chicago, and mm-hmm. I think it's on its way to being banned in California. Mm-hmm. But this uh, salsa fellow, he actually, uh, Dan Barber asked him, why aren't you marketing this to restaurants? And salsa's answer was, this is too good for chefs. They, aren't, they won't appreciate it. 
So he won't actually market it to like major restaurants and chefs around the world. He'll sell it to some local places and he'll sell it to people who want to buy it, but that's it. And that's kind of cool too in a way because he's really removing himself from the need to create a monoculture to produce enough supply mm -hmm. for the demand because he's not going out and creating the demand. No. They're just quietly doing it kind of on the side and those that know know to go to get their foie gras from him. Exactly. Now, if I knew somebody who knew how to prepare foie gras right, I would totally try to order some to try it. Mm -hmm. We just need to find somebody who can cook it or right. not cook it or do whatever you have to do to it. And there's also a, how he replenishes his flocks. Well, it kind of naturally does it itself. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, standing there talking with Dan Barber, and he's like, oh, watch this. And this flock of wild geese goes over honking, and his geese start honking. And the wild geese honk back, and then they kind of make a U-turn and come back and land at the farm with his geese. And uh, Barber's like, oh, that's great. They come down and eat and, you know, hang out with your geese and then head out. He's like, no, they're going to stay. And it turns out the wild geese just come to the farm and stay because why do they need to migrate when literally everything they need, everything they could want in this, like, kind of crazy geese heaven is right there. Mm -hmm. So his his flocks between the natural births and then the, the wild geese coming in, it's just like a... A self-perpetuating thing. Right. Have you ever heard of like wild cattle wandering onto your farm and staying? You know, it wouldn't happen. No, wild chickens you know, or a wild pig. Yeah, wander into a factory farm. Yeah, that's not never gonna ever going to happen. But I I love it. It's just so. But the geese that live there actually call mm -hmm. to the wild geese and get them to come check it out. Yeah, so that's kind of kind of cool. I don't know. I I really dig what he's done. I dig the fact that he's not trying to create this crazy demand he can't keep up with, and I'd love to see more stuff like that for mm. these little niche markets that our survival is not dependent upon. We're not talking about farming like wheat. Mm. We're talking about a luxury item. And this is exactly how I think a luxury item should be handled. Yeah. It's literally, it's the extra bit that you get. Yeah. You know, that's what luxury used to be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, and I remember too, on the video, that I saw on YouTube with Jennifer Street Porter, she was asking Eduardo, like, when do you know that the livers are ready? And he said in Spanish, it was subtitled, the geese start acting really strange and they'll actually eat for 24 hours straight. So you know, like, when they've eaten all, when they're eating all night long, then it, they're ready. Mm -hmm. They tell you when they're ready. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's crazy, just crazy. And the, the history behind foie gras, too, is interesting because it did start out kind of as a Jewish food mm. back in, uh, I want to say Egypt, they said. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting stuff to read up on. Definitely go scope it out, check it out, watch the TED Talk on that. It's probably my favorite TED Talk we've seen so far, even above Jamie Oliver's because I was really familiar with his topic before, mm. but this was totally new to me. I mean, this one was the most amount of new information, I think. It was. It was eye-opening and just outstanding. Now, the one with the most entertaining information... Oh, yeah. It was probably the one given by Jennifer Eight Lee. And it, the title was Jennifer Eight Lee Hunts General So. And it, her middle name is Eight, the number eight. Just so you know, we're not mangling a word. It's Jennifer, the number eight, Lee. Yeah. And she's actually on Twitter if you wanted to follow her because mm -hmm. she tweets all the time. She's hilarious. She's pretty funny. And she just does a... It's a little like... um review of, of Chinese culinary history in America mm -hmm. and the roots of a lot of the dishes that we have now. Like, a lot of people already know it's, uh, that chop suey is definitely, it's an American dish. They don't eat chop suey in China. Yeah. And her whole thing was, if you ask for General So in China, they're gonna not know what the heck you're talking about. Mm -hmm. 
But there are a lot of things that taste like it in China, so mm. go figure. She has a, a book out too. Was it the Fortune History, the Fortune Cookie, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And because she was talking about in the this TED talk about how fortune cookies are actually Japanese, mm-hmm. and there was this great part where she had a video uh, that she was playing, and she was giving fortune cookies to Chinese people, and they were like biting them and accidentally chomping on the paper and they're like what is this it was like the first time my sister gave me a kinder egg she didn't tell mm. me there was something in it and i just bit it and almost bit through the capsule <laughs> yeah so i was expecting a solid chocolate egg you know gotta bite hard to get through that no you don't mm. so no really fascinating woman absolutely hilarious to watch I, we are going to pick up her book sometime soon and read it and do an episode about it because she's just she has a great turn of phrase you know yeah. so you're gonna learn something and be entertained how can you not love that? Exactly. She's got a great sense of timing, and she's got a great sense of comedic phrase. Oh, yeah. She's good. So then the last TED Talk that's really, I, I think, something we wanted to talk about, where we betray everybody's confidence in us and tell you there's no Santa Claus. Yep, this is definitely the meat of the conversation here. Oh, God. <laughs> You're not punny at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Take it away, Sheila. All right. So there was a bunch of other great TED Talks. Totally check them out. But the last one that we wanted to discuss was Graham Hill's Why I'm a Weekday Vegetarian. It's all of four minutes long, I think. <laughs> but something that's four minutes long can actually be so powerful that it makes you want, want to make a change yourself. So Tracy and I have decided to do, we're calling it five-day vegetarianism. And it's just to, I don't know, eat with a conscience, I suppose. Well, uh, Mr. Hill's kind of reasoning is he's like, you know, I love meat. But I know I shouldn't eat as much of it, and here's why. And he goes down how meat is not always handled as sustainably as it could be. We eat way too much of it as a North American society. Uh, we eat more than we need to of mm. meat. We can drastically scale it down, and we'd probably be better off for it. Meat carries all of its own dangers and how it's handled and safety issues. And he just goes through all these things, and he's like, but you know I really like meat, and I can't give it up but I can give it up some of the time. So that's why he does the weekday vegetarian thing. So during the week, he's a vegetarian. On the weekends, he's a carnivore, or mm. an omnivore, rather. Yeah, he said, if, if I give up meat five days a week, I'm cutting my consumption by 70%. Mm-hmm. That's definitely going to make a difference on the environment and on my health. Mm-hmm. And you can go, you can really play devil's advocate and start to argue about how much of a difference will it make. Um, there's so many angles you can take on it, and I'm sure some people are going to disagree with us, and that's fine. That's fine. I just, from our standpoint, one, it's not going to make any changes in the podcast at all, because we still love meat, and we're still going to go to places that have it and eat it and talk about it in the episodes, and we're going to totally still be the burger queens searching mm. out for the perfect burger in the Durham and Toronto region. But I know how we live. We already had cut our meat consumption already. Yeah, we already have like a couple days a week where we don't eat any meat at all. Mm, We were doing, the, I guess, the reverse of this, Mm -hmm. where we were vegetarians for two days. But part of our our dynamic, too, as a couple is, um, this is awesome. (laughs) Hee-hee. Air dirty laundry to the audience, but Sheila and I, I'm usually the one who's pushing to do healthy things, and let's use olive oil, and let's cook with less sugar and let's do this and let's buy fewer processed foods and Sheila is willing to do it because it tastes good Mm. but in her words not mine she has a tendency to treat her body like an amusement park she rides all the rides and eats all the cotton candy and funnel cake and And for her to yaks all of the zipper yeah totally (laughs) for her to look at me after this little four minute segment and say I want to do this I can't say no 
And from my perspective of, well, it's going to make us healthier because we're going to eliminate a lot of the convenience foods that are meat-based and really not that good for us and don't taste that good anyway, and we only get because it happens to be we have no other time or place to do it. Mm -hmm. But for me, it opens up a whole new frontier that is absolutely foreign to me. And that's exciting. You get to actually try new things. Exactly. We get to be creative. Uh, we're good home cooks. Mm. We are not chefs by any stretch of the imagination. We're good at cooking home-cooked food. And it's going to make us change our skills up and learn new techniques and learn new recipes and learn how to make ingredients play together well in different ways. And that's really exciting for me, too. So that's mostly why I'm on board, even though right. I'm the one who's usually very health-oriented. So And... We both know that there's two things that can make this work really, make it really successful for us. One is being an informed vegetarian. Even if you're only being a vegetarian for five days, make sure that you know what, how much of everything you need. So you're still getting enough protein. You're researching recipes, mm -hmm. and All Recipe actually has a great resource. It's the 20 for 20 for vegetarians, and it's a list of 20 things to always keep in your pantry. And it's got 20 recipes that you can always make mm -hmm. from those ingredients so that you have a bunch of stuff to work with. And two, although there are some things you can modify, like our vegetarian tacos that's got the guacamole instead of mm -hmm. the hamburger, and it tastes really awesome. Oh, those things are so good. And th what's weird is that two of them, and you're just stuffed. Yeah. Because it's just... It's even more of a protein bomb than the meat. Yeah, and the guac is just so filling and delicious. And all you do is you throw in some good guacamole... All the toppings you can handle on top, all the veg you can handle on, a little mm. bit of cheese and sour cream, or leave off the sour cream. But I do want to try it with Greek yogurt. Oh, that would be amazing. And away you go. It's amazing. And we've been doing that one for, like, what, two years now? Yeah, we've been yeah. doing that for a while off yeah. and on. Um, or the, it's not really the vegetarian version of your Chinese dumplings, because vegetarian dumplings already exist anyways. Mm -hmm. But there's the look at what cultures already have vegetarian elements in it anyways. And there are so many different... Examples of that, there's Chinese cooking, Japanese cooking, well, I guess Asian cooking Asian in general. Asian cooking in general is a, a hotbed of it. There's Hindi, mm -hmm. because a lot of those folks are vegetarian. There is Middle Eastern. Mm -hmm. And then, it's right in your own backyard, it's part of our own history, there's all the Lent versions of European foods, mm -hmm. like pierogi, like uh, potato pancakes. Let's see, halushki. Halushki. Depending on what the noodle base is. Now, um, I do want to elaborate on that, but the, the hmm. point of this is for us particularly to make this work, it's that we're going to eat things that are naturally already going to be delicious because they were meant to be vegetarian. Mm. We're not going to take all these meat recipes and replace them with meat substitutes. Now, we're going to try some of them, but we're going to switch it up to the point where it almost becomes a new dish because there's some great recipes for that. Right. Post-Punk Kitchen. Oh, yes. It's a vegan site, actually. We're not going to go vegan, but they have some great ideas where they're not really always just saying, put in a meat substitute. She gets really creative. Mm -hmm. Or some of the lasagna recipes that are out there that replace the meat with other things that look great, too. Yeah, where but it's like loaded up with mm -hmm. grilled eggplant and stuff like that. But if the Asian food doesn't really appeal to you, really take a look at some of the Lenten recipes. I can tell you from personal experience, I grew up Ukrainian Orthodox, and... Um, I'm not as familiar as if it's as hardcore with the Catholics or not, but Ukrainian Orthodox, if you're really going to keep hardcore to the dietary restrictions of the religion, whenever it gets around Lent and uh, part of the time before Christmas and some of the other major holidays in the year before then, you go pretty much vegan. There's no meat, no dairy, 
no eggs. Yeah, it's all fish. pretty much oil and vegetables and fish. If fish is permitted. That's about the only pro animal protein you could have in your diet at that point. So Lent alone, you're looking at 40 days of pretty much being a vegan. Mm. And if you have an Orthodox church in the area, you can always drop by or call and see if they have any cookbooks they sell. You can ask them, do you have any Lent cookbooks and explain what you're doing? And they probably will be able to point you in the right direction. Because I grew mm. up seeing a lot of people eat things that were vegan during mm. that time period. And, you know, it was, seemed kind of bland to me then. But now I look back and I'm like, that was pretty much a Western food that you could have be meat-free and exist quite happily on. Mm. My favorite example, this is actually one of the best things I've ever eaten of this type, was um, we used to do a Good Friday vigil at the church with the youth group and uh, we, the kids, all, we would all take turns reading upstairs for this vigil in the church. And then downstairs was just kind of like a little party and we'd spend the night. It was like a big church slumber party. <laughs> and we'd make like uh, Ukrainian Easter eggs. We'd make pasanki and we'd hang out and eat pizza. And it was, it was a blast. And the one year, the one fellow who was working with the youth group, he was hardcore. He, when Lent came, he kept hardcore Lent diet. Mm -hmm. And if you're wondering, how do you know, by the way, when you actually can eat all these things? I know in our church, we got calendars and the calendars had these really complicated little codes marked on the days <laughs> as to what you could eat when. So you get this calendar every year. So, you know, these are the days we can eat meat. These are the days we can't kind of thing. But um, this fellow, he brought a chocolate cake with him and we kind of, you know, poked him a little bit. We're like, you brought cake, huh? You can eat some of that because you can't, right? He's like, oh, no, you try this cake. Well, what's in it? You just try it. And he did it bunt style. Mm -hmm. And it had, like, a nice glaze on it. So we all had a healthy wedge of it. And this is one of the best chocolate cakes I've probably ever eaten in my life. It was rich. It was flavorful. It was moist. It was it was sweet. It was killer. And he's like, yeah, it's totally Lent approved. There isn't any animal product in that at all. There's no eggs. There's no dairy. Like, how'd you do it? No butter. And it's just the recipe actually got out of one of the cookbooks they sold in the case at church. But it was just killer. So you can do a lot with it and still keep to if you're being vegan or vegetarian or what have you. Mm. Now we're going to be lacto-ovo vegetarians. I'm not interested in giving up cheese or eggs. Sheila loves cheese. I it's love no cheese. It's secret. She yeah. loves cheese. And that would actually make it very difficult for me if I had to go. Yeah. Me too. If I had to go vegan. I like eggs. I like cheese too much. Now, um, before people were saying, oh, oh, you guys are going to do this, but can you pull it off? We've actually been doing it very easily for two weeks now. Mm -hmm. It's been fun. Um, I've looked forward to our meatless days because I'm really taking to it way better than I thought I would. Uh, it's enjoyable to kind of stretch our creativity and decide what we're having for dinner for a change. So yeah. I'm well, really digging it. It just makes you think about your food a little bit more. You don't just mm -hmm. kind of cruise through life like a shark with your mouth open and just eating whatever happens to fall in and you have to make plans you know, if if it's we have to grab a quick meal what are we going to do okay well, we're gonna have to go we can't go grab a burger we're gonna go maybe get some falafel mm -hmm. or maybe get a some, pita a pita or mm -hmm. some hummus or veggie one platter. of the veggie platters or mm -hmm. something so it just makes you a little bit more conscious i think of what you're putting in your body yeah is it going to make a difference in health for us I don't know. I very much doubt we'll be changing the name of the podcast anytime soon. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Still be the fat chicks. Because yeast is not an animal, apparently, and you can consume as much of that in the alcohol that you want. <laughs> <laughs> and chocolate, well, that's a bean, so it's a legume. So Beans are good. Good to go. Beans are good. Now, we do have a, a leg up on everybody um, living in Canada when it comes to doing stuff like this, because we have the 
most awesome resource ever in the form of Bulk Barn. Mm-hmm. And you guys have heard us talk about the Bulk Barn chain in Canada before. It's a giant bulk store. You can get literally everything. And they have grains and legumes and it just anything you can think of that would make doing something vegetarian easier, they have it. Yeah. Like quinoa. We have quinoa. So I've found a bunch of recipes for using quinoa, including a great uh, tabbouleh, which Tracy loves. It's one of her favorite Middle Eastern... Mm-hmm. They're called salads, but I don't know. I guess that is more like a salad, but hummus, I think, and baba ganoush are more like a dip. But usually whenever you get them out, they're called a salad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it's a- just a bunch of parsley, uh, chickpeas, chopped up tomatoes, and quinoa. Yeah. You just whip it all together, a little bit of uh, olive juice. Not olive juice. Olive lemon oil, juice. Olive lemon oil, juice. lemon juice. And it, it's great stuff. And the quinoa is, uh, I want to say, and if I'm wrong, somebody needs to write me and correct me, Quinoa is one of the only complete proteins that's actually plant-based. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes quinoa so awesome. That's why everyone's all about it. It's such a buzz it. thing right now. Yeah, because you can add it to soups and mm-hmm. stews and salads and stuff yeah. and add a bunch of protein and yeah. still be vegetarian friendly. You can add it to your, um, add it in place of barley. If you're doing a barley-based dish, you throw mm-hmm. it in. Uh, one of the things I did is I just threw a little bit of it in with my rice when I was cooking rice one day and I had, you know, there we go, throw some vegetables on top and I was a happy person. But I also really like rice. But we've uh, really enjoyed, there's this one blend from Bulk Barn. It's called the Jade Mix. And it's a rice mix. And it has a little bit of everything in it. In fact, why don't I go get the uh, ingredient list? Okay. So the awesomely awesome Jade Blend has bamboo rice, wheat berries, basmati rice, green lentils, split baby garbanzo beans, daikon radish seeds. And it's freaking delicious. What's even better is you mix up a little bit of that, cook it at the end. Throw a handful of cooked uh, shelled edamame into it. Awesome lunch. Mm-hmm. So one of the many things we could pick up at Bulk Barn, just because it's easy to do, makes our lives a lot, not bearable, but a lot more fun doing the mm-hmm. vegetarian thing. Exactly. Like we said, I'm not really interested in doing like tofu burgers or hot dogs or anything. I'd rather just grill a portobello mushroom cap, mm-hmm. throw a piece of provolone on it and call it. A day on a Kaiser. Mm-hmm. No, the Chinese dumplings, though. Uh, Sheila mentioned that we did adapt those to a vegetarian recipe. We, I've had a lot of vegetarian dumplings in China. Uh, it was one of the varieties they'd bring out at the end of some meals. And they were great. And some of them had tofu in them, some of them didn't. So we didn't really try to cram tofu into something that was an existing recipe. I just used what I knew already existed and kind of riffed off it. I will post the changes I made. We have the recipe for the to- for the tofu. <laughs> We have the recipe for the dumplings actually posted on the uh, the Facebook account. It's a note on the Facebook account, so if you go to our page or timeline and click for the notes, you'll see it. And I'll just put the differences there. We already typed them up and put them up online for a couple relatives that asked. Mm-hmm. But it's it's good stuff. It adds a whole other texture to the dumpling. You definitely want to dip it in something. We use the dark Chinese vinegar. Mm, the Chengking vinegar, I think it's called? Yeah, and it's um it's easy to find in Canada. We can, or were able to find it in the States, but we had to go to Chinese grocery stores. You might want to look a lot around a little bit. If you have like a Wegmans or a Giant Eagle, check out the international aisles, see what they have. Um, it's cheap. It's awesome. Almost everybody really lives within a decent distance of a, a Chinese grocery store in the States now. They just don't realize it because mm-hmm. they haven't looked for it. Uh, you can also do, there's dipping sauce recipes out there. I use one that's just a, a hearty dash of the dark vinegar, a little bit of soy sauce, a little bit of sesame oil, and some sriracha. It's a nice, bold, spicy dipping sauce for the dumplings as well. Mm. And if you're a glutton like me, and you cram them in your mouth as soon as they come out of the pot, 
it cools them down a little bit to go into the dipping sauce as well. <laughs> 90% less mouth burns that way. So I actually have a question here, since we're mm -hmm. talking about vegetarianism. Were there a lot of vegetarians in China? Because I know that the Buddhist faith, some people take it really to heart that you shouldn't harm another living thing, and they'll only eat plants. I know we were told when we went that if we didn't want to eat meat, we just needed to tell them, if we were vegetarian, tell people you're doing it for religious reasons, and they were okay with it. I know there were a lot of vegetarian options. I didn't know that many vegetarians. Mm -hmm. I know some people did it more out of uh, economic necessity, because mm -hmm. it was much cheaper to be vegetarian than it was to eat meat all the time. Because meat was expensive, it was used sparingly in a lot of dishes. Mm -hmm. You would have a, a half the meat, a quarter of the meat in a meal that you would have over here kind of thing. Mm. So um, it, it was more of a vegetarian-friendly environment, but there were still a lot of dishes that had meat in it. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if there, if there were any native vegetarians there in mm -hmm. China, or if it was mostly uh, foreigners that were traveling there for business that were vegetarians. So they um, were... So they knew about it, and they had vegetarian options. I vaguely remember running into one or two, almost all females, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But they, I didn't run into the vegetarians. Like Some people get so self-righteous about it, mm -hmm. and I hope we're not coming off that way. We're doing it just as a challenge to ourselves, almost, and a lifestyle change for many better reasons. I'm actually, the last thing on my list, the reason for doing it, it's like the or the. Uh, eco-impact of it, I really don't care. I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. I'd rather see changes made in uh, animal farming, period, to make it more sustainable and a little bit easier on the environment and getting mm -hmm. away from that monoculture thing, going more with the crazy farmer guy philosophy than just saying don't eat meat. Right. I think that's the wrong approach. So that's not at all part of what we're doing. But um, I don't remember running into anybody who had that kind of dirty hippie attitude over there about <laughs> they were doing it because meat is murder and that kind of thing. I mean, of course meat's murder. You're killing things, and then you're eating them. That's the part of life. It's the way it goes. And that is not at all why we're doing this either, because we're still eating meat. Yeah, cutting down on it. Yeah, that's all. yeah. So we'll let you guys know how it's going. Don't worry. There'll be some interesting updates on it. Anything else you want to add on it? I don't think so. I think we ran through it all. Our potpourri mishmash episode. Uh, next week will be an episode about the devil's picnic. I'm so excited. Santos! Dominus! It's a book. Um, it's just awesome. I've almost finished reading it. We were supposed to have it ready for this weekend, and I just, I'm enjoying the book so much I'm taking my time. Usually I blow through books like crazy, but this one is, it's a pleasure to read. You're it's like dessert. It. Oh, it's so good. I'm becoming a fangirl for this guy. Oh, speaking of savoring dessert, Greek yogurt with honey on it, it is awesome. Yes, we'd never had Greek yogurt before. Picked up some this week in our converts, our devotees, if you will. Yes, we may start at a shrine to Greek yogurt somewhere because it's that good. So this is Tracy. And this is Sheila, and we are Zvi Fat Chicks. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this Vi Fat Chicks podcast. Please add us as a friend on Facebook and or follow us on Twitter. You can email your comments, questions, or suggestions to zvifatchicks at gmail.com. That's Z-W-E-I-F-A-T-C-H-I-C-K-S at gmail.com. Our theme music is Hot Swing by Kevin McLeod. Our podcasts, like Mr. McLeod's music, are protected under a Creative Commons attribute copyright. You can make copies of our shows and share them with friends. Please make sure that credit is given. Thanks for listening and have a great day.